In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. have indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive welcome to the first episode of the new era of our podcast i'm noah nelson the host and founder of no proscenium and its sister site everything immersive each week we aim with this show and with all we do across our websites groups and discord to bring you the best in immersive art and entertainment From theater to VR to escape games, installation art, the list goes on and on. All of it brought to you by our incredible Patreon backers. This week, we have an unbelievable first episode for you. This time out, we're heading to Las Vegas for an adventure beyond the edges of known reality. Then we'll meet the creators of Cassunda, winner of the Grand Jury Prize for Best Virtual Reality Immersive Story at Tribeca's Storyscapes. We'll check in with our friends from Room Escape Artist. We'll interview authors Austin Grossman, Sean Stewart, and Neil Stevenson about their new audible audio drama, Newfoundland, The Long Haul, which is the sequel to an ARG they created while at augmented reality company Magic Leap. We'll also start our new Immersive 101 series and share the No Pro Review Cruise Pick of the Week. And now our top story this week comes to us from just west of the famed Las Vegas Strip. It's there, inside the mysterious black facade of the playfully named Area 15, where we will find ourselves inside a twisty temporal loop. At that nexus point in the known and unknown multiverse known as Omega Mart. We've got produce, we've got beverages, we have cereals, we have... um... At first, you could almost believe this was a normal supermarket. We have our plausible deniability laundry detergent right here very popular earlier you know several months ago our sweet whispers toilet paper very popular and then you start catching some of the details of what drew d costanzo director of sales and marketing of meow wolf's omega mart is actually saying um this is another item that many many people really enjoy and that is our who told you this was butter which is a home freshening spray Omega Mart is the creation of the hundreds of artists, writers, and designers of the Santa Fe-based Meow Wolf, whose House of Eternal Return transformed a bowling alley in their hometown into the nucleus for an immersive art and entertainment juggernaut that's slated to open another attraction in Denver this year and has even more on the drawing boards. Each location has its own theme, but some ideas persist. Nothing is what it first appears to be time and space included. Does the uh, does the home freshening spray actually smell like butter? Absolutely. <laughs> it's fantastic. Later. Not now, but later. Yes, that's better. 
I'm on my own, having passed beyond the store into the labyrinthine hallways of Dramcor, the company behind Omega Mart. Omega Mart sources and produces amazing products for consumers like yourself. Right. Others are here, tapping plastic boop cards against card readers that unlock interactive features which turn spectacle into story. Congratulations. They also tap them at the very real card readers that Meow Wolf employees use to unlock clearly marked staff rooms to no effect. I love it. Yeah. It, once you once you throw all the rules and conventions out, then, you know, nobody knows where the boundaries are anymore. That's Corvus Brinkerhoff, the creative director of Meow Wolf Las Vegas. He's been with Meow Wolf since its days as an art collective operating at the edges of Santa Fe's respectable gallery world. So to me, that's like... Um, as imperfect of an experience design as it is for someone to like repeatedly fail to boop a door that's like intentionally locked so they can't go in there because there's some sensitive like servers in there or something that they're not supposed to have access to. Like that's not necessarily what I would consider successful experience design, but um, it indicates like uh, something that is very successful, which is that when I see behavior like that, when I see people trying to do things they would not do in a grocery store or would not do in most art museums, it tells me like, okay, we're succeeding at breaking the conventions open. And suddenly it's like a free for all in a way where nobody knows what the rules are. And as an experience designer, like that's a really kind of fertile soil to get to design experiences within. The path from massive art collective to the big business that Meow Wolf has become hasn't always been a straight line. As Brinkerhoff tells me, these elaborate projects started off as the artists making work for people like themselves. But right away, like within our first show or two, I remember seeing like young children just going bananas running around our exhibitions it was like these these beautiful primal kind of like powerful human circuits were just on like full blast and these children just like pure wonder and curiosity and their imaginations were ignited and i never thought about that like going to art school and thinking about art so seriously and really wanting to make something that was important and meaningful and and valuable to the world you know i never really thought about children like a kind of pixar in reverse meow wolf has created that elusive thing something for everyone we were pressed very hard early on to uh, with area 15 to say well what's your demographic what's your demographic and we'd say we don't have a demographic we have a psychographic michael benville is the chief creative officer and founding partner of area 15. we are looking for explorers people who are curious people who want to step in and out of themselves and and that's what we're building here that's why omega mart was such a perfect fit the pushback on that was was huge. I mean, people said, well, you can't run a successful business unless you have a target audience. Judging by the size of the crowds, off the Vegas Strip on a random Thursday in late June, comprised of people of all ages from across the full spectrum of ethnicities in America, the bet Area 15 made on Meow Wolf as their star attraction is paying off. While I had Benville on the line, I asked him what his favorite part of Omega Mart is. I love stepping through the containers, through the bottles and the, the, the racks from the, uh, from the store and then into the cavern 
with all the projection mapping that's happening there. I feel like it's unexpected, it's beautifully mapped, and it just, uh, you know, it fills your soul. Dearest listener, I agree. You've probably seen the image of the store freezer yawning open and beckoning visitors into the unknown. It's the one in all the Facebook ads you got last week. The first stop beyond that is what looks like the back room of a Route 66 service station that had somehow been folded into the space between the store and that cavern. The projected desert. An awesome spectacle in the literal sense that summons a feeling that I imagine is something like what those who visited the cave paintings back at the dawn of human civilization felt. I know it's hyperbole, but it's what I feel. It's an incredible spot to just watch people discover that they can still be overwhelmed by art. Thinking about that and knowing my own experience of artwork, which is just so rare for me to get really drawn into something. Again, Corvus Brinkerhoff. To create something that that inspires people to want to spend that kind of time with the work, um, I sort of hope will always be surprising to me that I'll, because I think that means that I'm not taking for granted how special that is. Back in the store proper, the team has set me up on a play date of sorts with one of Omega Mart's creative operators, Venus Cobb. Now, I know everyone is familiar with our uh, Brigham Sports Prairie Blasted Satisfactory Potato Crisps. I'm sure you're familiar. Absolutely. I've been potato blasted more than once. Fantastic. Uh, Well, we are actually trying to expand the Brigham line. We are uh, introducing some sports drinks. Very exciting. New progress. Big market. And we feel like we really have something to offer to this market. To be clear, this moment was made special for us, but the team members known as creative operators roam the grounds, serving the dual role of Meow Wolf staff and characters in the world. And this beta testing experience, or something like it, we're told could manifest one day as a premium add-on. Uh, our team down at Dart has worked hard creating a range of both high-performance and low-performance sports drinks. You know, something for everybody. Uh, and we are looking for appropriate, or, I mean, if you want to say an inappropriate name for them, I am more than happy to hear it. It is Vegas. It may get inappropriate. That's right, that's right. Uh, now, um, It seems like Vegas is already Vegas. rubbing off on Meow Wolf. But how is Meow Wolf rubbing off on Vegas? I mean, here's what Meow Wolf has done in Las Vegas, is they've given all these actors a day job. That's Troy Hurd, the artistic director of Majestic Theater Company. Instead of waiting tables in the casino or working at Barnes & Noble, they're here at least doing something within the field. Troy and Majestic have been making immersive work in Vegas for years now. You may have seen them take over our Instagram account once or twice. And Venus, our beta test operative, is a member of the theater company. And it's in a creative environment filled with other creatives. So I'm excited to see what's going to spring out of that alone. You know what happens when people hang out in a coffee shop? You know, you get a new theater company, you get a new band. What's going to happen at Meow Wolf? Right now what's happening is lines out the door filled with those looking to sate their curiosity, only to find that there's more to discover than they might have bargained for. Luckily, Omega Mart is all about the bargains. I am a robot, but I have many human emotion modules installed. Do not worry. 
We had long talks with Corvus Brinkerhoff and Michael Benville, and this weekend our Patreon backers will get early access to our full interview with Corvus, where we talk about the challenges of opening Omega Mart. That will appear right here in the podcast feed for those Patreon backers who sign in through Patreon. You get a special RSS feed for doing that. If you haven't done that already, hit up patreon.com slash Check your Patreon account if you're not a backer. Now's a great time, particularly if you want to hear that. We talked to Corvus for about a half an hour. You will hear more from Michael a little later on in the show. Now we reach the part of the show where we check in with reporters and journalists and other publishers who cover the ever-expanding world of immersive entertainment. Sometimes this is going to be folks from inside NoPro, but other times, like today, it's going to be friends of ours, like our dear friends, Lisa and David Spira, the founders of RoomEscapeArtist.com, longtime friends of the show. So glad to have you here on the Reboot episode. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Now, y'all, before we get into the to what stories you've been following, uh, you all have a podcast of your own, and you just kicked off your second season in kind of a big way. Yeah, we were a little inspired by what you were doing. We launched the Reality Escape Pod through the pandemic and launched the second season last month. We D- uh, David hosts that show with PG Law. On the season opener, we uh, had Neil Patrick Harris join us to talk about his immersive tabletop game, Box One, which is brilliant. Strongly recommend playing it before you listen to the episode because he was eager to spoil things. All right. Well, that is a big get. So congratulations to y'all Thank you all for that. Um, this segment of our show, uh, we're just kind of like checking in, right? So give the team here kind of a, a glimpse into the, the world of escape rooms right now. What stories are you following? Sure. We're following a few big ones. The biggest really being that the games have reopened. We're starting to get back to some semblance of normal and um, the industry is starting to rev back up. One of the major shifts that happened since the reopening is that bookings are private pretty much everywhere across the U.S. There are some places that are shifting back to public bookings, but by and large, we had long been seeing a trend in the United States towards private bookings and away from the public ticketing that was common in the earlier years of this. This really is in keeping with the standards that exist in almost every other country in the world, except for China, which was the only other place where public ticketing was common. And what this really means is that you and your small group of friends or family that you feel comfortable being around can book into this small experience just with you and your people and not into a public group like a theater performance, it really is a private activity. With that is coming some new experimentation or expanding on previous experiments of ticketing models. A lot of companies are putting in minimum purchases. So if you want to play as a duo, that's fine, but you still have to buy three tickets, something along those lines, because the space is still expensive and um, the companies still need to be able to operate and pay their people effectively. That makes a whole lot of sense. And also, as someone who doesn't has never really liked playing with randos, I'm, I'm happy for this change. Uh, what else are you tracking right now? 
Well, the online games are continuing. These really grew during the last year with a lot of creators doing really inventive things in the online escape room space. And some of the most popular games have sequels coming out now, even as escape rooms reopen. There's a company called uh, Agent November, whose first game was very successful, and their newest game, Mind Heist, is coming out very soon. And then the folks behind Agent Venture are also uh, starting to tease a new game that's coming. We had also done a industry-wide survey a couple of months ago, and one of the things that surprised us was that a lot of companies had online games in the pipeline to be released sometime later this year. So it remains to be seen how large the market is for persistent online immersive content, but there absolutely are creators who are continuing to produce it, either as a means to express and create uh, or as a hedge against future economic turmoil. Another company to keep an eye on is Mystery Mansion Regina, which just released the third in a trilogy of online games that they encourage you to play all three in a row. That last one is called Sleepy Man, and it was met with, you know, huge uh, people loved it. People really did love it. And that's really been the big takeaway in the online space is that as with everything, the range of quality has been wide, but the stuff that has been fantastic, I think will comfortably stand the test of time. And um, we're going to be doing a, a piece in the near future, covering some of these games that we really think are the must plays of the pandemic era. There's a lot for creators to learn from these pandemic creations, the ones that really stood out, whether they're designing for online escape room play or in person. When you get that piece up and running, please let us know. We will share it out with the audience here. This episode, we spend a, a lot of time in Las Vegas. And I was wondering, since that can be a little bit of a trip for folks, major destination, if you will, uh, is there anything uh, anything popping up on the escape room side in Vegas that people should know about? Either something that just opened or is about to open, people can make some plans. What's going on in uh, Sin City? There are two new licensed games coming to Vegas. The first one is already open, and that is the Rugrats game from The Escape Game. Yeah, This is an adaptation of their very popular game, Playground. We got to play it in the other location that it exists in, which is King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, which really couldn't be any more different from <laughs> Vegas if it tried. Uh, but this was a delightful adaptation of a game we were happy playing it a second time and it felt decidedly rugrats the look the feel the vibe was dead on and then the other game that we have not yet had a chance to play is uh the blair witch escape game which is Ooh. a licensed game um licensed through Lionsgate. uh it's made by the same folks who produced the saw escape room and the, Saw, and the Saw escape room has been very popular for quite some time now in Vegas. Yep. All reports are people who go to it either love it or hate it. I've never spoken to anyone who is lukewarm on it. So we're expecting the same reactions to Blair Witch. You know, for the Blair Witch, it would be completely accurate for them to just have someone go stand in a corner. <laughs> um, okay, so now that I've got my Blair Witch joke out. Um Y'all have 
uh, your big annual event coming up. So I'd love for you to take a moment and tell people what's coming down the pipe uh, from you guys. We are producing Recon, the Reality Escape Convention, this August, August 22nd and 23rd, and it is fully online again this year in its second year. Because we are not big gamblers. Tickets are available. The basic ticket lets you access all the talks. There are going to be 14 talks on a variety of different topics for creators, owners, players, everyone. And... That ticket is pay what you want. So yes, you can listen to all the talks for free. Beyond that, we have pro tickets that include all sorts of facilitated discussions and also limited access workshops. Uh, Those are being hosted by popular speakers from last year's recon and building on the work that they did last year. And those are for the industry professionals. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a really exciting part of recon this year for players it's the play pass and we have amazing games from popular companies included in the play pass there's one from deadlocked escape games out of the uk one from trapped 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 escape games in minneapolis and also from green door labs the creators of club drosselmeyer in boston plus many other games that you'll get to play with the play pass and those are limited run and so many discounts to so many games the play pass we crammed in as much value as we possibly could for players well that all sounds absolutely excellent and i know there's going to be a lot of people taking advantage of this uh hopefully uh clicking over uh in in the show notes and getting through how do they uh how do they get to the the recon setup you can visit realityescapecon.com to learn more about everything recon and to find you at Room Escape Artist? Uh, yep, we are all over the place. Just look for Room Escape Artist on your platform of choice. All right. And with that, uh, I know I will have you guys back on the show sooner than later. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Our next guests are the creators of a truly incredible piece of documentary filmmaking that may very well change the way you think about what's possible when telling stories in virtual reality. That work is Cassandra, which won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Virtual Reality Immersive Story at Tribeca Immersive's Storyscapes. Hi, I'm Gayatri Parameshwaran. I am um, co-founder of Now Here Media, an immersive storytelling studio that works with social change. Hi, yeah, my name is Felix Gebke. I'm the other co-founder at Now Here Media and working as a director producer on uh, Kusunda. Kusunda is a voice-driven virtual reality experience about uh, what makes a language fall dormant and what it takes to revitalize one. Uh, We've been working with um, the Kusunda community in Nepal, which is an indigenous group in Nepal, um, for nearly 10 years now, uh, creating this piece. And um, it's basically, you know, there are not so many um, speakers of the language left. It's uh, a handful of speakers who are left today. And the piece highlights the community's efforts at revitalizing this language. And the language itself is very special. It's a language isolate, which means it's unrelated to any other language 
in the world. Yeah, it's it's the communities. It, it really is a showcase of the community's efforts at revitalization. What does making this as a as a VR film afford you when it comes to telling this story and bringing people into this reality that making a traditional documentary doesn't? I think for us, it was really important that uh, the audience can really, on, on the one hand, uh, be in the present and communicate, like interactively communicate with, with the community, and on the other hand, be able to um, dive into the past that no longer exists. And that is something that uh, VR is really good at in, in bringing someone in, in another place or another time that they would otherwise not be able to access. Yeah, um, while speaking recently to, to some, someone else, we, we came across this idea of spatial anthropology. Mm. And I think virtual reality really offers us this, this ability or this, you know, it's a unique affordance in kind of spatially dealing with anthropology. I think this is also an attempt at this kind of new space or new genre somehow of documenting a people or a community's story. Uh, here, it's also really important to stress kind of, you know, while working with technology such as this, as creators, it's very important to us who keeps ownership of the story. In this case, the Kusunda, these, these are stories of the Kusunda people and we are allowed to kind of retell these stories or bring them to a larger audience. Um, and uh, virtual reality really offers us this, this unique kind of space of, of, or a unique way of telling these stories spatially, a community's history and culture spatially. I might circle back around to this idea of spatial anthropology and and the way in which sort of VR creates an immediacy of the telling, because I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but uh, at this right at this moment, there's there's a thing you you use in this piece. You know that uh, on the one hand, it, it it feels completely natural and it's it's incredibly powerful. But I, I imagine it's really difficult to get going. Which is that you use speech recognition to gate the chapters of the story, and it even gives the viewer a, a little bit of agency in, in terms of picking pathways. When did you know that you wanted to incorporate that mechanic into the piece? Was that was that right there from the beginning, or is it something that came up over the the course of time of you developing this project? Yeah, this is actually something that came uh, out of the co-creation process. So um, we had, like, we vaguely floated the idea should should be, like, because because it's a language that is uh, an oral tradition, it's, there's no script for it. We, we knew that, like, speaking is really important. And it's not about the written word, but really about the spoken word. And um, so we were thinking about this, and then Gyanimea, uh, or first kind of co-creator or entry point to, to the Kusunda community. Um, she uh, is teaching the language and for her, like speaking and repeating was really important. And then Hema, our, the younger co-creator that we were working with, for her it was really, really important to see the world kind of speaking even a few words in Kusunda in order to, uh, like on the one hand, kind of show solidarity to the community and her efforts, but also just to like, yes, make it simple that this is not a dormant language as long as it is open. I was really impressed by how you guys leveraged the different formats. There was 2D film, volumetric CGI, 
and you still you created this kind of harmonious flow using all these different tools in the toolbox. Uh, but balancing those formats can't be easy. How did you approach this to get the story to play out so well? Or was this sort of like a, a necessity, mother of invention uh, situation here? Um, you're absolutely right. We had a bunch of different formats to work with, starting with, you know, 2D, um, you know, moving image in 2D. There was the 2.5D volumetric video. There's the photogrammetry space and the environment, which is 3D, and the tilt rush animations, which are 3D. And we really looked at what form, what can these different elements or assets bring to the story? Uh, the easiest to determine was um, the tilt brush animations. The tilt brush animations were, you know, something that were going to be used to tell um, temporarily the past or the future. So things that cannot be represented photorealistically. So that was a grade eight to do that with the tilt brush animations. And the volumetric videos are, you know, again, temporarily, it's it's very much the present. It's right now, right here, the moment that we could capture in real time in, you know, in virtual reality that plays out. And there were moments we mixed these different um, elements together, like the volumetric video and the animations, the tilt brush um, animations. And that happened because... Uh, we realized that emotionally placing them next to each other worked much better for the story. Sometimes seeing our co-creator or storyteller, Lil Bahadur, uh, speaking, uh, seeing him speak animatedly about his stories uh, while he's explaining his anecdotes and having the animations illustrate what he's saying right next to him uh, and using virtual reality or the space itself as a canvas to place all these different elements adjacent to each other is what something, you know, that worked uh, worked out very well. It was a lot of trial and error, uh, but I think we hit the sweet spot. Yeah, I just wanted to add one small thing. I think what really helps in this is that we are generally media agnostics. So, I mean, we, we, we do work with all these new technologies, but in, in the end, we are trying to tell a story on like an artistic level, but also on a practical level, I'm speaking about a documentary in Nepal. So, like not to be too focused on one specific medium or one specific uh, technique to, to, to tell a story, I think can really help. Like I said, I've seen a lot of immersive documentaries at this point, and I, I haven't really seen anyone like leverage all these different tools in a way that just feels like a natural journey for the viewer. Um, I, I always knew it was theoretically possible, uh, and I, I love that that your approach, being technology agnostic, is probably what leads you to this. Is like you're just thinking about how can we get, you know, what what works emotionally for the story. How can we get someone from point A to point B? And there's even a, a, a kind of a meta logic to what you've you've laid out here. But that starts to crack open a bunch of stuff. And I, I know we only have so much time, but if you guys can stick around for a little bit, we'll go into overtime and maybe crack into that. Are, are you good with that? Yep. All right. But before we do that, what's the destiny here? Uh, I know it was the piece with Desa Tribeca. Is there another place on the festival circuit or is it uh, you know, reaching out, uh, coming home for folks soon? So before Tribeca, we had a screening in Nepal among the community, as well as uh, some kind of key people that the community wanted to reach, which was people in the language commission. Uh, and one of the goals of this piece is to enable 
the community itself to uh, to work on their goals with language revitalization. So they will be using the virtual reality piece as well as a 2D documentary that was created next to the virtual reality piece uh, as a tool for advocacy and for them to be able to continue on their revitalization journey. So that's one really important thing that we want to achieve with the with the piece. And secondly, um, yeah, we would love to have a museum run with the experience. Uh, you know, it's been a tough uh, one and a half years for museums and they're just opening up in many different places around the world. Uh, but we want to start having these conversations and see how we can reach a broader audience that's interested in language or interested in anthropology um, and culture. And uh, yeah, move further to uh, to other festivals, and uh, also finally, uh, it will be up on on online uh, for for viewers to experience this at home. All right. Well, for the museum heads who listen to the show, uh, please take note. <laughs> and, and if you need connections, uh, we'll do that for you. Thank you both so much, and uh, we're gonna slide on into overtime. Check back here in the feed early next week for an even deeper dive with Gayatri and Felix. That's going out to everyone, regardless of whether you back us on Patreon or not. But speaking of which, right now, I'd like to take a moment to thank our newest Patreon backers, Kevin Smokler and Sylvia Wong. I'm not kidding when I say that all of what we do, no pro, everything immersive, the Facebook group, the Discord, this podcast, all of it, all of it is brought to you by our Patreon backers. So if you like what you're hearing and you want more, drop by patreon.com slash no proscenium and get access to more and keep us going. Still to come, the pick of the week, Immersive 101, and our interview with the authors of The Long Haul. Hi, my name is Kevin Gossett. I'm the LA Reviews Editor for No Persinium, and each week we bring together a rotating cast of our writers and editors to chat about the things they saw this week on the Review Crew podcast, a supplement to our review rundown where we chat about some of the shows that are interesting and what we liked. Each week we have we pick one show that we like the best, and that's the pick of the week, and this week this falls to... Hi, this is Laura Hess. I'm No Pros Arts Editor and an LA correspondent. Laura, can you know, let us know what the pick is this week? The pick is The Plastic Bag Store, created by artist Robin Frohart, and this LA version is being presented by CAP UCLA, is a multimedia, incredibly layered and detailed experience around our plastic crisis. So the way this is presented is it is a supermarket and you can go through this installation in two ways. There's the core installation, which is just the market itself, which is again, wonderfully detailed and a real joy to behold on its own. And then there is also a immersive film experience, which I highly recommend. This is the heart of the production. And this is a mix of advocacy around the climate crisis, specifically with plastic, and this entertainment piece. Laura, can you let me know what makes this the pick of the week? 
I'm not going to spoil aspects of it. There are wonderful reveals, but the way that this experience delivers in a unique and powerful way that I currently don't see modeled in other immersive experiences is that balance between advocacy and entertainment and how this is delivered. It is so energizing. It is so infused with humor that you leave feeling deeply impacted in a very joyful way. You do not leave feeling overwhelmed or depressed. And I think this is a real model for how advocacy and entertainment can be fused together in the immersive space moving forward. Laura, thanks for joining us this week for Pick of the Week. I'm so happy to do it. I cannot recommend this experience highly enough. Go, go, go. And if you're looking for more from this crew, tune into the review crew, which you can find in this podcast feed or on the Discord live on Wednesday nights, usually at 5 p.m. Pacific. We've come to a segment of the show we're very excited about. We call this Immersive 101. Here is where we are going to be introducing some of the fundamental concepts in this whole immersive thing we're doing. Uh, And to help us out with that, uh, all of this month is the executive editor of No Persinium, Catherine Yu. Hello, Catherine. Hey, everybody. Catherine, what uh, what are we kicking this off with? Well, uh, we have a little bit of a task in front of us in that you and I are going to try to attempt to define the word immersive. Oh, we're going for the I word. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. just right, right into the teeth. All right this right is, off the bat. <laughs> this is one that, uh, that people get upset with us about sometimes. But uh, lay down the basics here. What, what, are, what are we talking about here? What do we mean when we say immersive? So when we at NoPro are talking about something that's immersive, we are mainly talking about experiences that physically or narratively put the audience on the same level as the environment or story or performers. And this really isn't exclusive to physical immersive. We also include some of the digital immersives, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, that sort of thing. But our focus is asking, how is the audience part of the world? And how does that kind of illusion of presence happen in that you feel that you are surrounded 360 degrees by a story world, some other environment? When we talk about this, are is this the same thing as like theater in the round or like a cabaret? I mean, on, on a cabaret, just when we're talking about level, right? Because we're saying level here. You know, I might be, you know, seated and the, the performers might be, you know, walking around and singing like right next to my table. That happens all the time. Are we talking about that? Not necessarily. So when we say that the audience is part of the world, it means that they are woven into the fabric of that story world. They have a relationship to the performers. For example, they could be guests at someone's birthday party or wedding. They could be students in a school. They could be the other people that live in the same small village. So if you have cabaret staging or a burlesque show or theater in the round, the audience doesn't necessarily feel like they're part of the world and they don't necessarily have a role to play. So that's what we're looking at here is making sure that the audience doesn't feel separated from the performers and the audience feels like 
they are part of that world. They are part of that environment. All right. All right. I get it. A role to play. That's, that's a, that's a big one right there. Um, all right. Any, anything else you think people should, should know when they're just thinking about the core of this, because there's a, there's a lot of directions we could go from here. I know, because this is not the first time we've recorded this this little bit. Um, <laughs> but any anything else that that, I, that people should hold on to when they're thinking about the I word? So another way to look at it, another perspective is I, as an audience member, am acknowledging the other audience members, and I'm acknowledging the performers. The same thing happens from the performer's point of view. They're acknowledging that the audience is part of the world, even if it's just, there's a bunch of people in my way. Gotcha. And, and really, it, it, that's, that's the whole thing in a nutshell. It, it kind of doesn't get more straightforward than that. Catherine, thank you. Uh, this, this has rapidly become a very fun part of the show. Uh, and I can't wait for everyone to see what's coming up next time. Me neither. Catch you guys next week. for this segment we have the co-authors of newfound land the long haul uh joining us today are i'm austin grossman uh uh i'm a novelist uh and a, a longtime game designer i came to this project uh because i was working at magic leap the uh xr company uh and we wanted to do uh a project for it i'm sean stewart involved in much the same way as austin uh, and part of the long XR career I owe one way and another to Neil Stevenson. I'm Neil Stevenson, and uh, I had a little uh, content R&D group within Magic Leap for a few years, and that was where uh, I got together with Sean Austin and other people from the, uh, the game business mostly and uh, came up with the idea for this uh, IP. So... Before we dive into the origin story, because it, it, it does fascinate me and it definitely dovetails in with what No Prisinium is obsessed with, uh, tell us a bit about Newfoundland, uh, the long haul. So what is the story that you guys are telling here? Uh, let me talk in a general way and then sort of hand it off to Sean and, and Austin. Um, you know, the idea was to create uh, an IP universe that was kind of natively augmented reality. This is not true of a lot of existing IP universes. Star Wars, for example, it says right in the opening screen that it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which is awesome. But um, it's uh, in that case, it's very hard to explain how R2-D2 might end up in your living room. And uh, augmented reality is all about having stuff show up in your living room. It's not about taking you to faraway places necessarily. It's about integrating fictional or entertainment content with, um, with your actual surroundings. Um, that's kind of what augmented reality is. And so uh, the premise, uh, after, after we had played around with a few uh, other possible ideas for um, uh, free creating for telling stories within augmented reality um, we sort of ended up deciding that the way to 
go about this was just to try to create a new world, a new IP universe from scratch that was optimized for AR. And so um, the, the natural uh, choice was to make use of um, the concept of parallel worlds or alternate uh, historical timelines, which is a, a familiar idea to people in the fantasy and science fiction genres. Um, and so uh, we kind of started from scratch and, uh, and built the, the Newfoundland universe um, around that premise. And to put it in the more pithy way that we started talking about it, particularly Neil, was if a guy with a longbow is fighting a guy with a jetpack, that is awesome. And the biggest possible version of the world of Newfoundland is that. There's one alternate world in which science never happened and swords and spells still work in 2021. There's another alternate timeline in which uh, it is the future as we thought it would be in about 1958. So they've got flying cars, they've got a calling on Mars, they still use paper phone books. Um, and these two worlds have started to discover one another and get angry with one another. And then they both discover us. And it's a bit like our world is Belgium and the Axis and the Allies are converging on us because this is where their Cold War begins to heat up. When you guys first started playing in this world, there was an ARG. I know because Sean mailed me several puzzles uh, that I still I still have in envelopes. Does does that story you told in that form link into this this audio book, this radio play, really? That you've made. I'm curious about that. And then I want to ask you guys about, you know, why the radio play format? It really does link in. The story of the ARG, um, first of all, the idea of making something an augmented reality, which is something amazing happens in your world, felt like it matched very nicely to the idea of an alternate reality game where something amazing is happening in your world. And the ARG that started off in 2018 really tells the first story of contact between one of these other timelines and our own. What happens in the long haul is literally what happens next. Austin, you want to take it from here? Yes, Sean, quite right. One of the things I like about the franchise that we're working in uh, is that we it's been an ARG, it's been an augmented reality app, it's been a YouTube series, uh, and all of that feeds into... Uh, the long haul, uh, this radio play. I, I just love that we've done it in so many forms and it's all in canon. <laughs> it's all uh, valid. Um, but yes, we had a very interesting uh, ARG that built very dramatically to a crisis that was actually staged at New York Comic Con in 2018. And uh, the long haul takes off from there. You do not, I hasten to add, have to have played the ARG or know anything about that story to enjoy the long haul. But I think if someone does enjoy the long haul and wants to know more about those characters and see what some of their other adventures are, it's fun that that's still out there to be found. If you dig into the internet record of these characters and events, it's, it's all there on the internet timestamped correctly because it did actually happen in real time. What does playing with this stuff in the radio play form afford you uh, that's, that's kind of fundamentally different from these other stories you've been telling? 
or or is there so much crossover because of what you had built and sort of the the, the focus you have that it just feels does one feel like a natural extension of what you were doing? This was a project that the radio play or audio drama uh, emerged from conversations with uh, with people at Audible who. Um, Obviously, Audible stock in trade forever has been audio books, um, and and that's been a great business for them, and they love doing that. But uh, they had been thinking about um, the idea of, of creating uh, materials written to the form, quote unquote, meaning uh, instead of just having an actor sit there with a book and read every page of the book out loud, along with the he said, she said, and all of the other sort of bookish uh, asides that are that are included in that um, actually write a scripted uh, drama that has um, sound effects. It's got music. It's got different actors playing the different voices, and it's specifically written to be heard on the radio. It occurred to us when we were talking to to them that this might dovetail in kind of a neat way with with the the premise of the arg. In, in an arg, you're um, you're, you're, you're sort of led to believe as a participant or as an audience member that in some sense this is all really happening. We decided to, um, to write uh, The Long Haul around the premise that we had uncovered a trove of, uh, of recorded sound files uh, and um, we had, they've been edited together um, in order to make a reasonably coherent uh, narrative through line. Uh, so, so that was kind of the point of connection that where, where it seemed a natural transition to go from, from doing VR to doing a new work in this format. So get nerdy technical for a second. So all the audio in this piece is, is like diegetic sound, like captured broadcasts and, and, and things of that nature. So we're hearing the, the characters yeah. really talking. Oh, that's, that's fun. Yeah, if you listen, if you, I mean, hopefully it's not overly obtrusive if you just want to listen to the thing. But um, if you listen, there's there's sort of a, a reason why you know each one of these things got recorded. Uh, the one of the narrative through lines is a podcast from a long haul truck driver named Bucephalus Troy, who. Um, um, I mean, he has a podcast, so obviously uh, everything he puts out in his podcast is getting recorded somewhere. So we had kind of a story that we can tell as to how that material found its way into a, a recorded sound file. And the same is true in different ways uh, uh, for all of the other uh, bits of, uh, of recorded sound that appear in the story. I want to pivot the, the, the conversation for a second here or for, for a few minutes because I've got I've got you guys, got your brains, and and I, and I must take advantage of that fact uh, because each of you have been working in this in storytelling in the XR space. You've been you know dreaming about it and writing about it and imagining these worlds for for a while. And as sort of the the reality catches up with the fiction, you know, in some of your cases, you've been playing around with interactive narrative for a while. So I, I can't pass up the chance here to ask certain questions. So I'm going to start with Neil here. You coined the term metaverse back in the 90s, and now every tech and entertainment company is using it to describe their next big thing. I'm wondering- Oh, what really? I, I, yeah. I hadn't noticed. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, do, do you feel like what they're talking about 
uh, is what you were talking about, or 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 is there like some out of sync alternate reality going on here with that? Because I'm, I'm, you know, it's it's variable. Uh, there was a kind of a similar thing that happened with the young ladies illustrated primer uh, from the Diamond Age, where mm-hmm. a lot of people picked up on that and and said we're we're doing this. We're we're making the primer, uh, and um, you know, it turned out that they were all doing very different things because they all had, they all come away from the book with very different personal views as to what that meant. And so I kind of figured out early on that it was better to leave them alone um, and not um, try to make any kind of ex cathedra um, pronouncement as to who was doing it right and who was doing it wrong, because there's no upside for me in that. And um, I, I can't endorse one version of it without uh, inadvertently dissing somebody else's version of it. Um, so, uh, you know, why why make people mad? Is it sort of fascinating to be able to work with some of these tools that, you know, 20, 30 years ago were just dreams? It is. I've uh, during the time that um, we were working at Magic Leap, I ended up becoming reasonably conversant with uh, Unreal Engine, um, and have continued to uh, to work with that since then. Um, in the, the I'm, I'm working on some uh, some projects in the area of virtual production, where you're actually using a game engine to make to make movies, and um, so. Uh, diving into um, into that engine or, or any kind of modern game engine is uh, is really an amazing experience because the, these things have become so extraordinarily capable um, and it's, it's kind of like the full toolkit that you need if you're going to um, to implement some kind of, of shared three-dimensional world. It's not the end product itself, but it's basically every tool that you could ask for uh, to, to implement that product. Yeah, and they keep on bringing out just more tools yeah. and, and, and giving access to everyone. When they, when they dropped the MetaHuman Creator, that was kind of left me a little agog, just, just how much they're just, yeah. just getting yeah, people right in. Yeah, they're you know fully pedal to the metal in, in sort of uh, adding new, major new chunks of capability to it. Um, and so uh, it's been it's been interesting to uh, to get to know people in that world a little bit and to work with uh, the technology they're building. Sean, I'm going to pivot over to you. As long-term listeners of the cast know, you were intr- instrumental in developing the ARG form, and you've always had a good sense of how stories can have this kind of permeable barrier between uh, you know the, the audience and and the authors. Uh, what's your sense of the cultural moment we're in with regard to interactive narrative? That's a really interesting question. So I was asked to give a talk at Intel in 2003, along with Alon Lee, about the things that we had done on The Beast, the first ARG, that were the most sort of groundbreaking or influential or original or whatever. Um, and what I ended up saying, and and I've probably talked to you about this before on this podcast in some version, of all the things you could talk about, the most interesting thing about it to me was the construction of the audience. 
that this was a kind of work of art that was handed out to a group of people and then they put it together, talked about it, quarreled about it, made jokes about it, gossiped about it, constructed it. And I think every moment since then has only made that feature stronger. I think one of the most interesting things about art in this age of the world is how collective it is. Um, if you look at TikTok, um, if you look at, go back and look at Tumblr memes or live tweeting the Oscars, all of these things involve this kind of call and response, uh, a kind of shared game of, of telephone or if you want to go all the way back to the romantic poets, the exquisite corpse game that they used to play back in the day, the sense that a collective audience is building something with itself and passing it around uh, is something that I think just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. So the, the sense in which we're increasingly aware that there is no such thing as a single player work of art, um, that everything is discussed and recreated and memified and inverted by the cloud of the audience is the thing that never ceases to delight me. When I last thing on this, I first met Neil in 1992 at a, at a book signing and my first book was just coming out and he just had Snow Crash coming out. And one of the pieces of science fiction tech in my book was people talked quite often to one another on video phones. Science fiction got a lot of the individual pieces of tech that we use today, right? But I think the, the social piece I was just talking about, the sense in which we're kind of communally, collectively doing this thing, that is much rarer. I don't think we were nearly as good at imagining that part. Austin, looking ahead after what you guys have seen in the XR space, both the upsides and the downsides of the last couple of years, what do you think lies ahead for storytellers working in this new land we find ourselves in? Uh, well, it's a good question. And uh, as we started trying to figure out how to tell stories well in augmented reality, there was, at least for me, a significant mental shift that had to happen. Most people come to storytelling uh, well, overwhelmingly through movies and television or through novels, all of which have the property that they can kind of transport you to a different place. You're a different person. The thing about augmented reality is that it happens where you are and you are still the same person uh, that, uh, that, that you were. Uh, one of the frightening things about the Magic Leap device at first is that it didn't do, like it didn't do, didn't feel like a movie. And then you realize, oh, it's turning the room I'm in into a story space. And a good analogy for this is actually the fact that we still make movies about the zombie apocalypse. Because one thing about the zombie apocalypse is that it happens in our world and any room you are in, you reflexively imagine how it would go down. Can I defend this, this, this particular house against zombies? What, how's it gonna go down uh, in my city? So looking ahead, the idea is that stories, we'll be thinking of stories that we can cite 
in the place we live, in our house, in our uh, in our town. That's actually fundamental to the the design of Newfoundland. It's conceived in exactly the same way as a zombie apocalypse, right? It's a it's a story that's happening everywhere at once, and wherever you are, every town. Every city has its analog in the fantasy world. It has its analog in the science fiction world. London in the fantasy world is a haunted ruin. It was the site of a disaster. New Orleans in the science fiction world is a, is a massive dredging operation, uh, get, mining the silt of the Mississippi uh, Delta. Every big person, you can imagine your, your fantasy analog, your science fiction analog. We're telling one story in this, uh, in this big concept but there are stories like this happening everywhere. I think that's why people just continue to love and, and play with and generate new stories in the zombie apocalypse. And that's the kind of story setting that we're going to see a lot more of going forward. The, the stories that transform the places we live into a narrative space. Well, our time together has almost come to a close, but before we go, I did promise you a little more tape. First, though, while I have you here, I just want to thank you for giving the new format a try. It's an exciting experiment for us, and our aim is to bring all the different parts of the immersive world together each and every week to expand the horizons of creators and fans alike, and maybe even discover some all new forms of immersive work along the way. Speaking of bringing the immersive world together, I have two things for you right now. First, each year we hold a summit, although 2020 snatched that away from us by just a few weeks. I'm pleased to let you know that our summit and festival will finally take place exactly where it was always meant to happen, at the Pasadena Playhouse this January 7th, 8th, and 9th. We've been waiting so long to do this and do it right. And the plans we have coming together, let's just say we're finally going to do some things I've always wanted to do. Now, if you really can't wait to reconnect and you happen to be in or around LA, our friends at the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists which I'm a part of, (laughs) I'm talking the third person, we'll have a town hall coming up on July 26th at the Roguelike Tavern in Burbank. This June meetup, uh, our June meetup, was attended by folks from across the theater, gaming, and themed entertainment spectrum. But we want to see even more diversity of discipline and experience there. Check the show notes for a link to more info. We're really building something special at Leia. And I hope you come through. All right. I promised you more tape. Yes. So um, the day before I interviewed Michael Benville, I started seeing reports that the Illuminarium had opened in Atlanta to some pretty bubbly coverage, just some rave reviews. That name was incredibly familiar since I had just seen it plastered all over the still under construction second building at Area 15 the week before. 
Since I had Michael on the line, I asked him to tell us all about what the Illuminarium is. We're very excited about Illuminarium opening up on the Area 15 campus uh, in, in, a, in a matter of uh, months or within the next year. And it, it, it's an extraordinary uh, experience. Uh, I've, I've seen test versions of it, and it just opened in uh, Atlanta, so it's, it's, it's open proper. No one in this business who wasn't who was raised on Star Trek hasn't wanted to work out how the holodeck uh, happens, and so many of us in different ways are are twisting that that big old jar of peanut butter to to get it open. Um, certainly at Area 15, we use projection mapping and, and absolutely love it in in so many different ways. Uh, Meow Wolf uses it too. Illuminarium is going to deliver a world-class experience in terms of the content, the quality of the projection and the rooms that you move through. I think we're going to be really experiencing that first delicious taste of, uh, of how the Star Trek holodeck uh, will ultimately come to be. Okay, if you are in the Atlanta area, and I know some of you are, I want you to report back to us about the Illuminarium. Email me at noah at nopersinium.com. We just might drag you onto the show for a field report. That's not the only thing I have in the old content library. Next weekend, the North Bend Film Festival is on with a hybrid event for 2021. Part of that includes immersive interactive programming, and I'm hosting a panel that will run as part of the festival with the creators of two of the pieces in the lineup the scavenger hunt style Marsha Needs Space, and the wild interactive paternity mystery party I Swing, You Swing. Here's a sample of that panel. This is Marsha Needs Space's Allison Morgan. The question is, why do we make art? Um... Well, interactive, <laughs> right? Not just, not just any, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You could, like, you, you, you in particular could just go play with that, that Disney money. Like, you don't have to do something like this. Like, well, let me, let me just say that Disney money is non-union, so it's not as good as you think. <laughs> it's not real uh, Disney money. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I understand the question, but I do think it's a bigger philosophical question wrapped up inside of it, right? Of like, why do we create and why do we create the things that we create? Um, I will say, like, I, you know, I, I don't know what that piece of me inside uh, that drives me to make things, to interact with other people, other than continuing 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 to try to understand the human experience period um, and this is just a new and different way to try to explore that we'll have more from that panel next week and the whole thing will be up at the north bend film festival the weekend of the 17th speaking of that weekend that's when our next episode drops so here's what's on the slate we're scheduled to drop in on the Brassroots District, who make their debut this weekend in Los Angeles. Indicate Sam Roberts swings by to talk Iron Game Designer. And speaking of game designers, we'll have designer Laura E. Hall on to talk about her new book about escape rooms. Plus, a visit from Kent By of the Voices of VR podcast and more from the team here at NoPro. That's next week on the next full episode. There will be a few more things in the podcast feed, including the review crew show we recorded this week uh, and that interview we have with Felix and Gayatri. So keep your eye on the feed and you will also find these things at nopersinium.com. I'm really stoked about this. Um, 
little behind the scenes action. Uh, I spent about eight hours uh, <laughs> mixing this show uh, on uh, Thursday. Uh, had some of it disappear right at about one o'clock in the morning. That was fun. But uh, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad we're doing it this way uh, after years of me refusing to do it this way. <laughs> so um, new, new era, new era. All right. Now it's time for uh, the look, look at that. The, the Noah rant was only like 30 seconds of just being like, we did a good job. Um, now for the credits. The executive editor of No Persinium is Catherine Yu. Chris Grimm is the designer of everythingimmersive.com. The associate producer of the podcast is Parker Sella. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. All the music for No Proscenium is by Chris Porter of LA's Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Proscenium are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hanson, Paul F., Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. You can join them at patreon.com slash the No Pro Podcast is written, produced, edited, mixed, and hosted, obviously, by yours truly, Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.